Hello, and welcome back to Platform Enterprise, a podcast for people who are pissed off with capitalism. I'm your host, Rachel Donald. I'm an investigative journalist and a writer. You can find some of my work over at platformenterprise.com, where, most importantly, you can sign up to get these podcast episodes delivered straight to your inbox every week. On this week's show is Maya Mumne, a graphic design artist who is currently based in Canada but spent a lot of years living in Lebanon and helping form the women's resistance there. Maya left after the Beirut blast last year and she is currently in the process of launching a women's magazine. And what she has to say about the purpose of that magazine, the fact that it is about women but not celebrating women, the fact that it is meant to reveal the struggle that women go through around the world, uh, the fact that she has to figure out a way to deliver it to the Middle East in special packaging so that it won't be discovered by the authorities and banned. I mean, the kind of things that she has to think about in terms of a, an activist and a designer are just really, really fascinating. And I know you're going to get a lot out of the episode today. This kind of links all the way back to, um, I think, my fourth guest on the podcast, who was Lisa Lux, a poet and an activist living in Beirut. So if you kind of want to get the full spectrum of the, this group of women and how they're working together to overcome and battle against uh, oppression and inequality, uh, both gender and political, you can go back and listen to Lisa's episode, first of all, uh, which was also really, really brilliant. So final thing, uh, if, you, if you enjoy the podcast, if you tune in every week and if you want to find a way to support it, please visit platformenterprise.com and choose a paid subscription. I'm really bad at plugging this and it makes me feel very uncomfortable when I have to do it, but it does enable me to keep investing time into going out and finding these fantastic people and platforming their stories and their, well, enterprising attitude. <laughs> All right, everyone, that's enough of me. Strap in and enjoy the show. So yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with me today. You're in Montreal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I moved here in September 2020 after the blast. I just had to came here. Why did you choose Montreal? Um, I grew up here and um, well, like the first half of my childhood was uh, happened in Montreal and uh, I have friends and family here. So it just felt, I mean, I, I, I came here in September uh, just to visit them, like to take a breather, like after everything is Beirut. Um, and then I just didn't come back. Like I didn't go back. Right. Of course. Yeah. How was it for you after the blast? Um, I'm not, I don't know. I mean, it's like a, a weird state that I think we're all in currently. Um, and, and I think, I mean, there was, there was a, there was a high after the blast. Like there was a lot of adrenaline after the blast. It felt like something was going to change. Like it couldn't not change. Like things couldn't, no, they, they couldn't get worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there was that adrenaline rush, um, and, and, you know, Beirut was all over the news and, um, I don't know about people that are outside of the creative field, but people from within the creative field in Beirut were getting, you know, interview requests on a daily basis. Um, and so that was adding to the adrenaline rush because everybody, you know, wanted to, to talk to us and wanted us to speak out and, um, but then the calm after that came, um, and then there was suddenly like this very morbid feeling of like despair and like loneliness for it. Um, you know, just like witnessing the city just 
the country go into like a deeper, deeper free fall. Um, and I think, you know, for, for most of us that have left, I think, you know, I mean, I can speak for myself and, and I know from the other people that have left Beirut, um, it's been really hard to readjust to another city. Mm. Um, you're like, our, our minds are obviously constantly in Lebanon. Um, and you know, there are like these like grand feelings of, of like guilt of some sort. Um, and I think it takes, you know, it takes a lot of work to, to put that aside. I think it's, um, quite interesting how, um, like the Western response to it, like, as you said, it was a huge part of the news for a couple of weeks it was so big that it dominated the news cycle for quite a long time but the thing that i think we so often fail to recognize in the west is that not every country like their governments will not respond in the way that is necessary for their citizens you know like bush used 9-11 as a way to start a war on terror and i mean we talk about that for days but the point was, is that pretty immediately Americans were made to feel like we've got you, we can make you safe, whether that's true or not. Um, whereas Lebanon's been crumbling and there hasn't been enough attention on that, on the fact that the fallout is still going on and it's not getting better for citizens on the ground. Yeah. And I think it's not, I mean, you know, we see this with, with every like kind of like disaster that happens in a particular place in the world, right? It occupies the new space for a while and then it disappears. Um, but that, that disappearance really leaves like it, it you know, it, the, the feeling of being left hanging is very present. It's very, very real. What would you like to see more from in, in Western media, more, more current coverage? Honestly, I just don't want to fucking see Western media. Yeah. I want to see nothing that's fucking one certainly. Yeah, that's what. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about Al Haya magazine. So, um, yeah, maybe I can give you a, a background um, as to what I do because all of that led, um, led to, the, to the creation of Haya. Yes, or please. Push me to, <laughs> push me to start at Haya. Um, so in 2012, um, I co-founded a design agency called Studio Safar. Uh, it's, it's a graphic design and art direction agency. Um, and I, I co-founded it with Hatim Imam. Um, we're a small team of, you know, designers, uh, copywriters, project managers, um, and, and most of, most of our work, uh, in, in Safar revolves around the cultural sector in its orbit. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of what we wanted to do and did and the drive behind uh, starting this um, was because there was no, um, at the time, we felt like there was no design agency or design studio um, that was working on um commissioned work that wasn't, um, you know, selling consumerist objects, like mm-hmm. design agencies that were doing it a little different. Mm-hmm. 
And so we started Sifford, Um and then we uh, decided to uh, create a magazine. We've always been very, very uh, passionate about the print world. Um, and there was no design on, there was no ma magazine on design and visual culture from the region at the time. So we start, said, you know what, let's, let's uh, make our own rules about what a design agency is. Um, and and uh, have the design agency publish uh, an annual magazine or design and visual culture. Oh, cool. Um, and so we started it uh, in 2014 and, um, uh, basically we studied in Lebanon at, um, at the American university of Beirut and American and European design history and thinking have definitely like shaped our understanding of the field of design. And we see this very vividly in academia. Um, probably a more accurate term for this is colonialism instead of globalization. Okay. Um, and it starts with language and of course it extends to like all fields of cultural production from fashion to architecture and of course design. Um, and this magazine was our chance to, uh, basically shift the conversation on, uh, what graphic designers do, um, uh, and kind of like instill the recognition that graphic design, the field of graphic design, uh, uh, is an active player in cultural production. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was also the drive, the, the, the second drive was also to shift the narrative on design and visual culture from its fixation on the global earth. Yeah. Um, and the idea was to look inwards and backwards in history, uh, but, but never, never, um, purely nostalgically, uh, or nationalistically. Um, and also, uh, this gave us the opportunity to begin addressing design matters from a political perspective, um, which we see rarity of to begin with all over the world. Yeah. I mean, could you, let me shift. I'm getting excited. <laughs> could you define, you know, what is a design matter from a, from a political perspective? A very simple example is how, um, the design of passports, um, contributes grandly to where the passport takes you, how it, how it allows you to uh, maneuver through the world. Um, and we've, uh, published two articles on the design of passports. Um, that's one of them. Okay. Um, and of course, the, the drive behind writing about passports is that um, as a Lebanese, you require a visa to almost everywhere in the world. And a lot of times it's very difficult to get that visa. You don't always get a visa approval to get anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so that was a very big drive for us, of course. And did you mean the, 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 the graphic design of, of passports or, or how the the tool has essentially been designed as a manner of keeping some people within their borders and allowing others to, to go wherever they want in the world. So it's, it's how the graphic design aspect of the, the, the passport informs, um, the, the movements that it allows, how these two inform each other, because it's not, no, like, it, like, you know, not any graphic designer will get hired to design a passport where this has to be something that you've in-depth studied um, mm -hmm. and audited and understand. Um, and, you know, you don't, 
choose to to you don't choose the landmarks you know how the passports have the have land you don't choose the landmarks yeah. purely based on you know um what the airplane catalog says right right um so it's it's all of these things can can it's we get into that a little bit i i'm sorry I, I, to interrupt i'm just i'm absolutely fascinated by by what you're saying um it's something i've abs- never thought about before in my life so i mean what kind of what are the the graphic design questions or, or concepts that it, because i mean i would just think oh well a passport it's um where you get to go would be because of the nationality of the passport you know the country stamped on the front not not the graphic design so it's definitely the country that's stamped on the front and of course there are no like um there are no like guides or rules about this you know that says all the red passports are the most powerful passports or all the green passports. you know there's no rule about this but we do we do often talk a lot about uh, how the color informs that whether it's accidental or it's not um the seal of the country on the passport itself the number yeah. of pages um i forget what it's called but all of those really intricate line illustrations inside of mm-hmm. it the landscape um the number of pages for the visa stamps inside um they differ from country to country right because some countries require more visas than others yeah um where things are positioned where they're placed um all of that stuff but there is in the in the last issue there's a piece on passports and in um issue number uh three or issue number two, I forget. But um, that's just a very simple example uh, mm-hmm. to get you to say, oh, I've never thought about this before because there are like so many, so many things, you know, um, similar to this where 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 the, the, the role that you play as a graphic designer really informs the way that um, the message is relayed uh, or the way that, that you control the way that people consume that information. So another very... Um, uh, simple example also is uh, publication design so if um you uh if i'm designing a publication for uh, a museum um and that publication uh, revolves around um the, the contemporary artwork that was produced in beirut between the years uh, sorry modern modern arts that was produced in beirut between the years I don't know, 40, 50, and the years seven. Um, the way that the designer um, decides to combine the text and the image, uh, and the way the designer chooses to kind of co-curate uh, the content that's placed on the page, uh, will affect the way that you consume that information in the publication. Um, from from highlighting our uh, uh, arts from a gender perspective, or um, um, uh, class, the religion, names. Um, if the texts that appear inside the publication, whether I choose to uh, literally illustrate that text with supporting images, or I choose to uh, use images or create images with visuals that allow uh, together with the text give the reader a new meaning. I'm literally controlling how you're consuming that information. And that often gets overlooked in in many different fields and in many different ways. Publication design to exhibition design, um, to brand strategy, to communication strategies, all of that. 
Um, and so, yeah, and so, and so, and so a very big drive, you know, for, for Sifwet was in doing that and also in addressing things like, um, consumerism and capitalism and politics and, 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 um, misogyny and, and all of that stuff. Um, and we did that and it was great. I mean, you know, it was like a dream that was being fulfilled because, as soon as we kind of found our 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 thing with the magazine and realized with every issue um, that our voices can get a little bit louder and louder, mm. uh, we realized that this is something that we can implement as an agency as well. So we don't just get to do that because we're self-publishing. We get to do that because um, we also get to choose, you know, which which projects we want to be commissioned for and which ones we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started, you know, uh, becoming a little bit more, um, vocal about our politics in our work as well. Um, um, w- we took the decision to stop working for, um, any entity or individual that is related to, uh, government, whether it's from Lebanon or the Emirates, or Saudi Arabia, or, 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 or any project mm-hmm. that might enhance the image of that country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was a decision that we had taken as well. And, you know, when we'd get approached by, let's say, I'm going to throw the name here, but I don't know if we should, if this should go, you know, uh, live. But let's say um, Dubai is, you know, doing really well in terms of uh, art the, the art sector there is doing really well, you know, like uh, art Dubai is a really big thing now in the world. People travel to go visit um, design days, Dubai, the same thing for, for, for industrial design and product design and all of that. And we got approached once to, uh, you know, work on a big project for them. Um, and instead of refusing it, we refused it and said, we don't work for your government. We will, we won't, we, we, you know, we, we will not offer our services to, something that might enhance the image of a country like the Emirates, which is a police state, which is run by tyrants, which is, um, and that became a little bit more apparent. And then for, because of that, uh, we started getting work that was more related to, um, uh, the topics we would write about. Mm. Um, and that was all really great. Um, but there was something, you know, there was something in me that, you know, like that satisfied like a tick, you know, okay. but there was another tick that wasn't being satisfied and it was, um, work that was, uh, or, or producing content uh, that was centered around women. Right. Um, and that tick wasn't getting satisfied so much because I, um, I co-run everything and satisfied with uh, my male partner. Um, and so there was always this, um, gendered thing at work that I'd struggle with always. And it, and it will always be like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one of the things I, I tell people a lot is if Sephardt were run by two women, you know, and, and with, on Women's Day, like there's, you know, the cities campaign Women's Day and they, and they, they, they celebrate businesses run by women a lot. And I always tell everybody, had Sephardt been run by uh, myself and another woman, it wouldn't have been, I wouldn't be this aware of, of the gender struggle because right. anybody that's coming to work with us, 
knows what the deal is. They're coming and they're working for two women. But mm. the fact that I co-run this thing with a man means that I am on a day-to-day basis um, picking on uh, the differences that happen when a client approaches me or a client approaches my partner. Right. Uh, the same thing for employees or suppliers or mm-hmm. banks or that kind of thing. And of course, I would not have it any other way. But that's not something that we um, talk about. Um, and there is no like platform or publication um, that I feel uh, I can relate to from because because I'm 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 not Western, right? I'm not I'm not I mean Western. I hate using that word. I mean I'm, I I grew up in the Arab region, and mm-hmm. I feel like there is no publication that um, that I relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of lot of work that's being done in the region uh and so you know it, the idea kind of just simmered in my head for a year a year or two um and then i was like shit i think this is it i think that's what i want to do i also want to start a woman's magazine so i did um i wrote you know i i i partnered up with the people that i thought are i think are the right people to do this with and mm-hmm. we started working on this magazine um which, you know, should be launching this winter. The first print issue should be launching this winter. Oh, fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. So how long has it been in the works for then? Um, it's been in the works for a year, like officially a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm fascinated by so much of what you're saying. Um, I think... In terms of you know graphic design, going back a little bit further back in the, in in your um in what you were saying, like graphic design, uh, copywriters, these kinds of things, it's it it's kind of often perceived as creatives for hire, um, rather than imbuing something with a creativity and a knowledge that obviously the person commissioning it doesn't have, and what they, and that's what they need. So I'd like to ask with with Safar, sometimes when you have uh, people that approach you to commission something, do you also enter into a dialogue in terms of like, we think that it should be done like this because, yeah. right, okay. So you really, yeah. you don't just, yeah, you're not just accepting projects and being told what to do. You're really helping inform your clients about the best way to approach it politically. Yeah. So I, I, I maybe, you know, instead of using the word inform, I would probably, uh, I would probably, I probably use the word uh, converse. Um, like we, we, you know, it's, it's always a conversation. It's always a conversation. And, and if, if a client is going to come and say, uh, I want you to do this this way, or I want, I want, this is what I want for my business, but this is what I want you to do for my business to get from here to here. Then there's Mm -hmm. no conversation happening there and there's no interest for more and to work with them. Um, because we, we do work very closely with many different types of businesses and many different types of fields. And if there's no conversation happening, then I can't really help you. Um, and it's mm. the same thing the other way around. It's there's something that um, uh, I want to push the client, like a direction that I want to push the client to take. I'm not going to come and say, I think you should do it this way and go do it this way. I will sure. present the idea with lots of in-depth research and say, look at this world. That's where you should be. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm assuming because of, because of the kind of clients that you choose, people are generally uh, open to that. But do you also find that having those conversations then really informs them or, sorry, or um, opens up their own perception of their business practice and what they could achieve and the kind of causes that they could help. Yeah. So, you know, we do get every once in a while a client who rejects that. And in which case we 
um, you know, gently decline mm-hmm. working together or we end the program. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time, so the, the, the first conversation we have with the client is usually very telling of whether this is going to be like that or not. Yeah. And it's, and it's that first conversation we have with the client. So, you know, when somebody sends us an email and says, I need this and this and this, can you guys send me an offer? There's no way I'll send them an offer without meeting with them. It's always conversation. And then, mm-hmm. you know, if I feel it out, if my partner feels it out, then we'll write the offer and we'll send it over. But there's always a conversation that needs to be had and a few, you know, a, 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 a tiny, very, very short brainstorming session. But we, 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 we understand if, you know, this is going to go somewhere or it's not going to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then before we, we start almost any um, kind of service for the, for the client, there's a workshop that's held. Um, and that workshop is designed and catered for that client in particular, where we will... Um, Use use that workshop. That's a series of questions and a, like an 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 engaging wall exercise. Um, we we moved that online, but before that, it was a it was a it was like a little, you know real life wall exercise. Where if we wanted to be a bit provocative with the client, we would use that workshop to push them a little bit because mm-hmm. then it's not face to face. We're not provoking them ourselves. We're doing it through this, and so it's always much gentler. Mm, very smart. <laughs> Okay, because I am, um, I had a graphic designer, um, a, a wee agency, two Scottish guys helped me with, um, with platform, you know, the, the logos for the, for the podcast and everything. And I found it such a fascinating experience because we spent hours talking about, uh, my, my politics, um, and the, the goal, like not the business goal, but rather the kind of impact I wanted to have with the podcast and whatever. And then they informed me like with their politics and what they thought. And, and it was like, we had, I mean, we must've had about like three different phone calls, just talking as people do before I received something in my inbox that was like, we think that, you know, we think that this would be helpful. And I had like two options. And I mean, the first one was just, oh my, you've, you've nailed it. Yeah, I didn't, I never had a visual for what it could be, but you have yeah. absolutely nailed it. Yeah, yeah. And going forward with everything, there was always that conversation about like, what is the purpose of this project rather than, um, what are you trying to market? Exactly. You know? Exactly. And, and they are, they are such good graphic designers. And one of them, um, is like in particular, he's obsessed with type and he knows the whole history of like typeface. And he thinks it's absolutely fascinating how it's impacted culture. And before speaking with him, I'd, I'd never thought about it, you know, in that terms that, of course, the things that we consume all around us impact us on an individual level and therefore on a systemic level. But also that I wasn't aware that because I wasn't aware of it, the graphic designers were aware of it and doing something to try and push culture forward and to take more responsibility for what they're doing mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's just so fascinating because we often think I'm totally going off on one here, um, but we often think of art as like things that are in galleries and like films that are kind of difficult to watch and you have to think about afterwards and books yeah. that you have, you can read one chapter yeah. at a time and it's tiring whereas their art your art is around us all of the time and has such a bigger impact yeah. than that which is hanging in a gallery yeah i just think it's amazing yeah <laughs> it is it, <laughs> is, it really is amazing yeah and especially when you like when you make that realization and then you start connecting the thoughts and the pattern then you say Oh, wow. Well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm really, uh, I, I'm uh, completely illiterate in the, the visual field, unfortunately. I've, I've tried my best, so I, I, I cannot really pick up on any um, patterns. But 
seeing how insidious marketing can be in like copy yeah and therefore in the visuals that are attached to it and exactly as you say how you put something together this is the thing it's not just an image on a page and then text it's how those two things are presented to you like everything is in a relationship with every other thing on that page and it's therefore all in a relationship to you and somebody has chosen exactly what you want to what they want to make you feel and likely is you're going to feel exactly what they want you to feel absolutely because they're very good at their job it's quite frightening (laughs) yeah it is actually the control that that you don't realize Mm -hmm. that sometimes some people have over something um yeah yeah because you know people talk about um the trump campaign as if that was like you know the only piece of propaganda in in our lives certainly over here in this part of the world well i'm in the uk but you know i mean uh, or breaks it and and it's like no 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 no. your propaganda is around us all the time and trying to make a distinction between propaganda and marketing as if in a free market economy there is a business out there that is really actually wants good more than anything else that's extremely rare to find yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, the 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 thing, the example I was giving of, of the book of of how the decisions I make about what, when it, when I'm designing a book from the typeface to what I choose, what image I choose to put next to which word, and how close that image is to that word, will absolutely inform and impact the way that you're receiving that information. I have a lot of control over how you're receiving that. It's very similar to the way that. Architects design shopping malls or supermarkets, right? We know, like, we know from a lot of, um, I mean, I, 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 many documentaries have talked about, like, psychology behind the, 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 the interior design of a supermarket. Um, and it's very similar to that, very similar to that. Airport, in the design of airports, the duty-free parts of airports, mm. like where all of the malls and all of that stuff are designed in a way for you to be to go across all of the shops to get from place to place. It's very, very intelligently designed. I mean, the good airports are designed like that um, to get you to stop and look and, you know, um, that's the same thing. The way that I'm designing the space of this shopping mall really affects how you're consuming all of this, uh, all of this, uh, all of, all in this experience. Um, You know, from the scent of the food in the mall to, 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 um, to, the distance from the stairs that starts here and then you have to go all over or all around the mall to get to the second escalator to get back to the third floor if you're going yes. from the first you know what i mean yeah it's yeah yeah the exact same thing yeah or even uh that one i heard years ago that i think um completely changed my perspective on the world when i was a student it was that in nightclubs they turn the heating up to make you thirsty oh that's interesting <laughs> That is interesting. So it's, yeah, so you don't, yeah, you think that you're just dancing and you're really hot and you need another drink. Yeah. Um, another thing is also that bars serve uh, salty. I also heard this. I don't know how many this is, but you're served also um, usually salty things at bars to get you to drink more as well. Yeah. The bags of peanuts are the free bag of, uh, you know, over here, McCoy's. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Olives. It's- it's everywhere and it's interesting because I think, you know, in the kind of place where we're at politically with like, you know, critical race theory being such an important part of the conversation and talking about systemic issues. Like this yeah. isn't about, uh, this isn't just about any more individuals racism. It's about the fact that this system is designed in a racist manner. 
And I think it's opening up that conversation about exactly. how is the world designed? Exactly. Who is it designed to serve? Yeah. But design, it literally goes all the way down to these things. It goes, it goes to architecture. The fact that cities are designed for men, you know, the, in yeah. the fact that, you know, good luck if you're a woman with a stroller yeah. trying to get through a street, you know, and oh, it's just, yeah. And then speaking to a designer of it, this is just amazing. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, I, I can, I can sit for like hours and talk about this. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's all all designed with a very particular you know goal in mind. Oh, oh, it is it is creepy, you know. It is creepy. Yeah, because I, I I'm in a field of journalism where I mean I can only speak for myself and the journalists that I know. Like we're just um. We're little rogues. We're just out to like dig out the truth. We're like terrier, terrier dogs <laughs> going down into those rabbit holes, trying to like flush out whatever it is. Although in this case, it wouldn't be defenseless rabbits, but monsters uh, under the soil. And so I don't really think about um, when I'm on a story, I hope it's going to have a good impact. I hope that the right person will read it or, you know, the bad guy will go down. But it's, it's quite a, a direct form of communication in a way. It's just that you get the story, you publish it, you make sure the right people see it if you can. And you hope that on the next, you know, step of the food chain, the correct changes will be made. Yeah. Um, it's, it's quite lacking in design, apart from yeah. obviously the people that put together newspapers and then, you know, the model when you've got the ads and all this stuff. Um, but it is one of those industries, if you're writing, if you're investigating and writing, it is. It's lacking in design in a way that most other things are not today, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I would say. Mm -hmm. I just, uh, I find it so interesting to think about the amount of intent that is behind other people's actions. Because those are the people I go after. Absolutely. The royal families that are ejecting indigenous people from their lands. Yeah. Or the hoteliers who are also injected, you know, or the, the po corrupt politicians selling off the world's rainforests. And their intent is as simple as you know making profit most often power tripping and profit but the fact is that the world is designed in a way that enables such people that gives them an opportunity to make the profit of whatever they're selling or whoever they're kicking out of their own home mm -hmm. and that's sometimes a I try to kind of cover it with the podcast almost to keep my own education up but it's sometimes like a, a piece that, that you forget about there's the bad guy but there's also the systemic problem Absolutely. that celebrates that bad guy. Absolutely. Okay, so tell me about Alhaya then. So it's to celebrate, is it celebrating women artists, women writers, just women in general in the Middle East? There's no celebration. Mm, okay. Um, uh, it, there's no celebration at all. Um, it's, well, it's, it's more so, um, it's more, it's more so content on, 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 um, the strife of women, um, you know, talking about, talking about matters that don't get to be spoken about, um, from, from the impacts of, of, you know, in light of all of the protests that have been happening in the recent years from, from, you know, the, 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 the no study that has been conducted on the effects of tear gas on women's, you know, sexual health or reproductive health to um, interviews with um, women that have, that were very heavily involved in politics in Lebanon, let's say in the 70s and the 80s, um, 
to uh, uh, women who are writing reviews on or or writing uh, analyses on uh, uh, female artists from the region. Um, uh, you know, that's the kind of content that we're publishing. Um, mm-hmm. There's also um, photo essays that we're publishing as well. So, you know, they are no words, they are wordless, um, but the the images take you through um send you send you to like a space in time um mm-hmm. and 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 it's all very much the relevance of 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 this you know very patriarchal world that we come from uh, but fo- focusing on on lebanon no focusing on the no. arab region not focusing on lebanon at all okay yeah okay. do you find and this might be an odd question um living in montreal now having spent so grown up in lebanon uh mm-hmm. understanding the strife of women as you put it um mm-hmm. particularly in that region of the world where it's grossly underreported um do you find a how do i put this How do you find navigating the difference in gender inequality in a country like Canada and then what's going on for women on the ground in Lebanon, for example? I mean, same shit, different place. Obviously, the intensity levels differ grandly. Um, but it doesn't mean that, you know, I mean, I have to constantly remind myself in this, myself in this part of the world that just because I get to, I can run outside in a sports bro and not get catcalled or harassed, um, that it's okay that uh, I get dismissed at the bank, let's say, but my male partner doesn't. Mm. Uh, I have to remind myself these things all the time because, you know, sometimes when you're given a little bit, when you got, when you have it, when you're, when it's given to you so bad. And you get you get it a little tiny bit less bad. You go, oops, you know, yeah. you smile. Um, yeah. And I have to I have to keep reminding myself not to smile. Like, you know, there's no literacy at, at like almost at all in Lebanon right now. Um, and you know, the one day a week that the electricity comes for fifteen extra minutes is a little celebration. Um, so I have to keep reminding myself not to smile for that extra fifteen minutes of the electricity. Um, but it's, it's, it really feels like the same shit, different place kind of thing. So not to smile over your basic human rights. Yeah. Yeah. Like not to be grateful for the little that is given when it is given, but to keep fighting. Yeah. Mm. I find it, um, really interesting because I think so much of kind of that that insidious narrative that tries to hamper feminism is like but it's so much better it's so much better don't get me wrong i'm happy or very happy to be a woman at this point in time rather than 30 years ago 50 100 200 or 50 years later to be honest i mean it's also it's also it it also feels amazing to be part of a time and era that is witnessing the change i mean the change has always been in the works um but, but, you know, I, I would also say the opposite of what you said, which is, um, I'm happy that I exist now and not 50 years later mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or a hundred years later or, 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 uh, and I'm happy that I exist at a time where, um, you know, 
uh, whatever, everything is like nice and equal. Um, and, and we all forget that there was a time where it really fucking wasn't, mm. um, mm. if that makes sense. And I, and I, and, and that's, that's also partly why the magazine exists and why the magazine is not a celebration, um, and why it exists in print form, not in digital form. I want it to literally occupy space. Fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. There's something very different about having digital archives. Yeah. It makes it very easy to research something if you know exactly what you're going after. But you're never going to stumble across something on the internet in 50 years time. Whereas um, a woman's child in 30 years might pick up her stack of Ohio magazines and recognize something or realize something and learn about the past in a way that continues that impetus to make the future better. Yeah. I want to exist on the libraries of people's houses forever and mm. in the libraries of universities forever. And I want, um, I want to spot people in the metro or the public bus reading a magazine that is very unapologetically feminist, mm. um, and, and talking and, and, and unapologetically feminist, um, but addressing, you know, the, the kind of discussions that you could get into a lot of trouble for discussing in, in the Arab world, a lot mm-hmm. of trouble discussing in the Arab world. Um, yeah, that's, that's the drive. <laughs> what, what are some of those, um, things that, that you can get into trouble discussing in the Arab world? Sex, uh, politics, uh, uh, the photography that we are publishing, um, if and when we intersect, um, contemporary era politics with feminism, that shit will get us. Well, we, like, we know that the magazine is going to be banned for most Arab cities. Like, that's a given. Well, mm-hmm. and I'm excited for that. I'm really mm-hmm. excited to be banned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because he probably will have been pretty quickly. <laughs> yes, I will. Yeah. You're gonna have a black have to have a black market for progressivism. Although I suppose that's exactly what already has to exist. So the funny thing is that actually, uh, by the way, I don't know how long uh, is we're gonna go for, but I actually have to leave in ten minutes. Okay. Okay. Good. No problem. I'll yeah. Got it. Um. So the funny thing is, um, as part of you know, um, my work with Sefer. Um, we were, so sex toys in, um, sex toys in the, sorry, sex toys targeted at women, uh, where I come from are illegal. So you can find, uh, what do you call it? Like that ring that you place. Cock ring. Cock ring. So you can find vibrating cock rings at pharmacies in Beirut, let's say, but, uh, you will definitely not find vibrators. For sure. Or dildos Good. or anything like that. That's, that's Yeah, it's illegal. We also know better than to travel with our, with our, with our vibrators, let's say, in and out. Uh, because you will get stopped at the airport. And whether it gets confiscated or not is not a given. But you will be humiliated. Um, so we got approached by two Arab women who are starting a um, sexual wellness brand. Um, and part of what they do is they sell, uh, custom made vibrators. 
mm-hmm. that had to be very carefully um, designed and branded and positioned to not to not be sold as a sex toy, to be sold as a vibrator. So not something purely for for sex pleasure, but one that is for health reasons and masturbation is health. Um, And so we worked with them for a year and a bit on this entire strategy um, and the testing of it for, you know, um, the way that the vibrator looks to the way that it's packaged to the language that's being used, to the activations online that we need to create in order to get many um, women who are curious, but A, can't be caught with a product like that in their house for fear of, you know, their husbands or their brothers or their fathers or even their mothers, Um, uh, so on and so forth. Um, and so we discovered that actually while selling the vibrator would be, let's say, illegal in a country like Saudi Arabia, um, you can order it a lot and it will arrive to your house. So the same thing is going to happen with the magazine. I'm going to make it available for purchase online and I will definitely have it disguised so that when it arrives in the mail, um, you don't see the cover and you don't see the title. Uh, it just looks like any other magazine or it looks like a publication of some sort or it comes in like a black plastic, I don't know, like a porn magazine. Um, but I definitely will be able to send it on for distribution in the Arab region, but I will make it available to purchase online and I will customize those orders um, that are entering the Arab world so that they can enter. So wild to think that those are the things you have to think about. Yeah. But exciting too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So is that vibrator. Too. I want to give her, a, those women, a shout out. What's, what, yeah. what's the name of the brand? It's called Mouj.me. So it's M-A-U-J dot M-E. And Mouj in Arabic means wave. Like a water wave. <laughs> like Mouj dot M-E. Yeah, shout out to them for sure. For the amazing I'm going to try to interview them, actually. That's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Please do. Please oh do. They're, they're anonymous. Um, for, for safety reasons, mm-hmm. um, they are both anonymous, but, um, yeah, you can probably interview them, um, if you change the sound of the voice, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. would be happy to. Wow. I mean, that's such a, I, I mean, I, I oh God, you sometimes, I think we sometimes forget the, the, um, like the obvious discriminations mm-hmm. that, um, that we've. I don't know what the right word is, like surpassed, overcome, been fortunate enough to get past. Um, like, for example, in Malaysia, where I, a lot of my journalism is based, um, children born to foreign born children to Malaysian parents. If the father is Malaysian, they can receive a Malaysian passport and be granted citizenship. But if it's the mother who is Malaysian, they can't. It's the same in Lebanon. I mean, where do these people think the children come from? Really? We're not yeah, seahorses. I mean, if I were to marry a Canadian man, I can't give, I can't, um, give my passport to my child. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, it, it's, it's vile. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, and you have to think of it like, well, okay, so what? A woman doesn't have a right to pass on her citizenship because she's a second class citizen or a woman that's been brave enough or had the opportunity to leave. Like, oh, well, we don't want her and her children back. You know, whereas it's more likely maybe a man will go off and have a kid and still, you know, be exactly in the the model of the citizen mm-hmm. that the state mm-hmm. requires of him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jeez, you know, they, people are so afraid of women. That's the thing yeah. that I love when you hear about all the stories. The one thing that underpins it is like the amount of energy that goes into oppressing women. Because yeah. you all know, all know, you all know how yeah. strong women are. Yeah. Right. I know that you have to leave soon. So um, yeah. tell me, and I don't know if I asked you to prepare this, but much like uh, Dana platformed you, is there someone you would like to platform? Yeah, Mooj. Excellent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Could you put me in an email with them? Yes, I can. I, I mean, I'll just shoot them an email first and ask if it's okay. Yeah, sure. You guys in touch sure. by email. Cool. Thank you. Maya, thank you so much. This is thank absolutely you, fascinating. Thank you, Rachel. Right. Well, listen, um, w- when it goes out for launch, let me know because I'll put it out on, I mean, I'm, I'm following it on so, uh, Alhaya and you on social media, but Perfect. I'll also put it out on all of my Perfect. stuff with platform. Perfect. And Excellent. I'll re-release this as well ahead of okay. it. Okay. Um, Amazing. And I, can I, will I be able to get it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can it's you... going to be, it's, it's the district, the main distribution is going to be um, from the UK, actually. Uh, to the rest of the world. Um, it just won't reach the Arab region unless we buy it individually online. But yes, gotcha. it's going to be, we're, 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 we're very much targeting Arab expats. Very much. Excellent. Are you going to have a launch? Like a physical launch thing? or We're all kind of in different places of the world. So, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I hope so. But I don't know. And, and then if we do it, then which city is it going to be in? Mm, mm. Well, let me know. And if there's anything that I can do to help okay. uh, with whatever, please don't hesitate. I'm uh, quite good at pushing down doors when they need to be. Okay. Um, I'm happy to hear you know, that. Just because there's nobody else can be physically present, I'm happy to go and break something down. I'm please, I think it's that. a fantastic project. Okay, do. Awesome. Right, do. have an amazing day. Thank you Bye. so much. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you. Hello, folks. Me again. If you would like to work with Maya and her graphic design studio, Studio Safar, you can find them at studio. You can find them at studiosafar.com. And I really highly recommend, to be honest, if you're the kind of person listening to this podcast and you've got those projects on the go, I would really highly recommend. I would really highly recommend working with them. Also, you can subscribe to Al Haya magazine, and when the first edition launches this uh, year in December, you can get that delivered straight to your door. So that's Alhaya, A-L-H-A-Y-Y-A, magazine.com. Finally, if you're enjoying this podcast and you would like to support it, you can subscribe over at platformenterprise.com and you can choose a paid subscription. That helps me to go out and spend time finding these fantastic people whose stories I think we all need to hear and learn from. So that's it for this week. Uh, Thank you so much for all of your support and see you next time.